this is Jeff Cobra, and we welcome you to this special Disney at Work podcast, where today we acknowledge that Walt Disney World opened on Labor Day 50 years ago. Now, that title may seem confusing. After all, there's barely a Disney fan that doesn't know that Walt Disney World opened its doors to its first paid guests on October 1st of 1971. And the official dedication, the grand opening weekend, was October 23rd, 24th, and 25th, with the last day being the moment Royal Disney would dedicate the park. But there's another park opening story, and its first day had families that actually came in to see the attractions, restaurants, and shops that were running. That story we will share with you on this, the 50th anniversary of when it opened. It's a great story and it has implications for any organization. Make sure that you subscribe to Disney at Work podcast as well as our Disney at Play.com uh, podcast because then you'll be notified of posts and podcasts as they come out. Disney at Play offers everything fun for those of you who are absolute fans of Disney. Disney at Work podcasts like this not only offers you great insights into the parks, but also provides good ways to actually improve your organization, best in business ideas from the happiest places on earth or the most magical places on earth. So let's begin and roll back the clock um, a month or two previous. Walt Disney World is heading toward its official October 1st opening. But things are not looking really good. I don't know if you've had a chance to see behind the attractions. Um, I'm, for me, they're a little bit hit and miss, but one that is really pretty good is the Disneyland Hotel. Mind you, if you didn't understand, Disneyland, when it opened, also opened a few months later, the Disneyland Hotel, but it wasn't owned by Disney. Disney had licensed its name and the right for a man named Jack Brother and his wife to actually own and operate that hotel and actually use that name uh, for building other potential hotels across the country. And there were a lot of things about the Disneyland Hotel, which we could go on in another episode, that offers implications to to how the Walt Disney World Resort and its hotels actually ended up becoming what they were. What wasn't mentioned in this, and it was a little bit of an awkward moment as I watched it, is why Jack Rather, who had the name Disneyland Hotel, had the ability to run and do a great hotel, is not given the opportunity to do so in Walt Disney World. We don't know, or I don't know that story necessarily, but what we do know is that the, Dis the Walt Disney Productions Corporation at that time entered into an agreement with USS Steel to actually um, provide the backing and the operation to the um, Walt Disney World Hotels, namely, as they were coming down the pike, um, Disney's Polynesian uh, 
Resort Hotel and Disney's Contemporary Resort Hotel. This, as well as backups at the Magic Kingdom and all throughout, I mean, from the parking lot to, to the employee lot, everything was backed up in terms of construction. And things were not going really well. In particular, and why I mentioned USS Steel, that part of the deal was really backed up. And the resort hotels, which didn't... Um, um, which were slated to open on opening day were not ready for um, for guests, um, as well as so much of the rest of the Walt Disney World complex. This really plays out in um, mid-August when Roy O. Disney uh, came to um, Walt Disney World to do an inspection and to also do an event to honor John Hench. John Hench was a longtime Imagineer. And by the way, I'm taking many of my notes from David Koenig's Reality Land. If you can grab a copy of it, it is the best copy for really understanding the history of Walt Disney World. He does just a superb job and he's a great guy. Any rate, um, they had designated August 15th as a day to set aside to celebrate and honor John Hench as uh, as an Imagineer. He had been um, so much uh, not only the lead creative in designing Walt Disney World, but had played a central role to designing Cinderella Castle itself. So how appropriate that the 166-seat uh, King Stephen's Banquet Hall um, would be used as a place to honor uh, John Hedge. The problem is, is that restaurant wasn't anywhere near being ready. A few weeks before the party, Dick Nunes, who had been put out to be in charge of getting the park opened and running, informed the foods division, uh, had Dave Burner, that this restaurant needed to be opened in time for this event. And um, Burner just said, we're not ready. And Nunes's response was, we'll get it done. And so they leaned on the contractors to get them um, build up an operating uh, a building at this time. In fact, in fact, they didn't even have um, they didn't even have the silverware and the pewter plates that they were supposed to have. Um, they had Dave Vermillion. If you've heard some of my previous podcasts, we've there's something called naming the sheriff. Uh, Dave Vermillion, who would later become head of Epcot. Um, trace the shipment back to out had to trace the shipment back to alabama have it pulled off a truck loaded on a plane and then he himself went to the airport to pick up that and so here is royal disney and some and the rest of uh, the company executives coming in from california and uh um basically roy as as david keenick put it took a sobering tour of the property um, he didn't say much at that time. He, he, they put uh, the dinner event first. Uh, Card Walker dedicated the castle to Sir John, Hen uh, Sir John of Hench with a champagne toast. Roy um, then um, honored Hench um, and said that if anybody would want to be there more than him, it would have been Walt Disney. Champagne glasses were lifted. They all got... Uh, a little on the tipsy side, and then they all went out to King Stephen's 
uh, carousel to actually ride the carousel. So we now know that there were two things open by August 15th and not a lot of assurity of other things. Now, we do also know that the Haunted Mansion and all of that attraction was pretty well built out back in 1969 as the Disneyland version was being opened. They just decided to make two of everything as they've done in other projects um, like Under the Sea uh, with Little Mermaid. And they did so in this case. So that was practically at their wraps, waiting for the rest of the park to catch up. But there was not a lot going, um, uh, not a lot that was finished. There is a sign that was put on the castle. And I want to say it was also put on the clock tower on um, in uh, Town Square on, on City Hall, which said, remember, opening October 19th. 71 and I believe that was Roy's request because he walked through the park and saw a lot of people just sitting around doing nothing so he said we need to put up a sign to remind people uh, what we're heading toward here at any rate um, after all that was done uh, they came to a realization that USS Steel's um, rosy predictions of being ready to open up these hotels they were not ready and the studio who had to come in and film this. They were going to film a whole segment with uh, Bob Hope inside the contemporary dedicating it um, and, and doing a spiel. That just wasn't even close to being ready. If you actually look at that footage from the grand opening, you'll see that it's kind of faced upward toward a, a fairly, toward the monorails, but you don't see a lot of the rest of the hotel at that point. It Things were nip and tuck. In fact, uh, Roy Disney actually assigned a appointment that he had um, by the name of uh, Howard, uh, known as uh, Howard or as in hard, Howard is in hard, Roland. And he came down to be the appointment to get this contemporary thing done. And one of Roland's biggest challenges was getting the contemporary's 1.5 million square feet of floors carpeted. And according to Keenick, the carpenters had claimed jurisdiction over floor coverings, but most of the available carpenters were framers. Only a handful had any experience installing carpentry, carpeting. Roland called the union agent, Bill Wilson, and said he needed to cut some sort of deal. Roland recalled, quote, I flew in six carpet layers from Vegas, whom I would pay piecemeal. Wilson said, okay, if I'd match their pay hourly with his guys. I brought in six men to do every room, the whole South Annex, the towers, corridors, public spaces. They lived in the rooms they'd done. They sometimes worked 12, 14, 16 hours a day. They'd be waiting on rooms to get to be ready to be carpeted. So they'd fly back to Vegas for seven, 10 days to get backlogged. The union guys carried the carpet for them in Naptala. All went well until Wilson discovered the car Vegas carpet layers didn't have union cards. Wilson quote, blew the whistle and 4,000 construction workers stopped what they were doing and began streaming off the job site. Roland was incredulous. Getting union cards was never part of the deal, but he didn't have time to argue. Construction stopped for two hours as Roland rushed to the local union hall and paid $300 in initiation and back dues, uh, fees and back dues. Um, union members also claimed jurisdiction to install the glass frame on the south side of the tower, but the only practical solution was using the crane operators from American Bridge. Howard knows what kind of deal I can make, Wilson informed them. 
Roland accepted the same conditions, matching pay for some uh, 20 union workers. American Bridge, however, wanted the union guys out of the way. The workmen sat on the dock playing cards. Marvin Jacobs, the furnishings buyers for the hotel, recalled, there were a lot of union people who said, you can't do this, you can't do that. Howard Rowland said, well, let's come back here about five o'clock after they go home. So they'd come back and did the work there. For the Polynesian Hotel, they had to bring tile in for the floors. The union guys said they didn't want to do that till much later, but we wanted to get it done right away. So we came back, got a forklift, brought in all the tile and put it where we wanted. The next day when the union guys came in, they wondered how it got there. But it was there, so they figured they might as well do the work. Then they started doing the floors. At any rate, you could see from all of this that uh, so much of construction for Walt Disney World was way backlog. I mean, these are the moments that Roland talks about after the August 15th trip. So we are just, we are just weeks away from opening. And um, Kenny goes on to talk about how Tomorrowland was just like Tomorrowland at Disneyland. It just wasn't, it just wasn't a happening thing. The Autopia managed to get open and so did uh, the Skyway, um, but it was a long fence trail <laughs> to those points with a lot of other things uh, not working right. Meanwhile, when Hench came in to see Main Street, he realized that the paint color scheme he had used, which was similar to the one in Disneyland, was not working at all on all the buildings on Main Street. It's a much more intense heat, as any tourist knows, on Main Street. This is one of the reasons why when you're in the Caribbean, you see brightly colored buildings. It's because after a year or two, they all wear off in terms of that pigment because of the heat of the sun. So it was just one thing after the other. We haven't even gotten into the tram cars, which were a mess. And they were not only driven, um, driving guests from the parking lot, they were driving guests from the parking lot to the, um, to, um, the front of the Magic Kingdom. And they were also driving cast members from their parking space all the way to the back of the house behind Fantasyland so they could go to work. So everything was in total chaos. And as the summer was turning into, as August was turning into September, it was um, seeming that they were very, very behind in getting this park readied. And in comes Labor Day. Now, Labor Day is named after American labor, unions. This is their, their day. This is the big day. And of course, management's saying that they are far behind in getting this job done. Said, um, okay, guys, we, we've, got to, uh, we've got a big deadline coming down. We've got the park opening October 1st. Uh, we got a lot of press coming, people staying in the hotels. We need to work through the Labor Day weekend so that we are ready to open on October 1st. And the unions, they said, uh, yeah, no. And so management uh, dug in a little deeper and said, you don't get it. All the world is watching this opening. This is huge. We have press coming from around the world. We have sold a gazillion tickets back in the... Just um, from the uh, uh, Welcome Center, they had um, sold 
uh, it was either a million dollars worth of tickets or a million tickets. I think it was a million dollars worth of tickets just in the preview center. And most people back then were just buying tickets right when they arrived. So you could see everything was being held up. They really dug in and said, really, unions, you have to work on Labor Day. And, labor, and the labor unions just said, you don't get it. It's Labor Day. Our people are not going to work and it is not going to happen. So Disney management, particularly Dick Nunes, took a step back and thought about it. And he thought, you know, if we can't get them to work on Labor Day, maybe we could get them to play. And so all of the construction workers involved with Walt Disney World were invited on Labor Day to come to the Magic Kingdom, to bring their families and their kids and come and enjoy a day at the park. They would open up everything they could possibly open up because a lot of things were not ready, but they opened up what, sh what shops they could, what, what um, food and beverage locations they could. They opened up what rides they could. They put management on operating most of all these rides. This was the first time that cast members were getting any kind of experience. Those that had been hired heretofore, they were all put to work to try to open up the park on Labor Day. And you can imagine, you know, construction workers, they could be a gruff little bunch. And here they are bringing their little ones into the park. And they are the first people to walk down Main Street, USA. They are the first to see Cinderella Castle at the end, to ride a monorail, to see the Haunted Mansion, to experience the Hall of Presidents. And their kids are looking at their parents, who are these construction workers, and saying, oh, did you build that? That is so cool. That is so awesome. I want to go on that. Can you imagine the, the pride, the sense of ownership that these construction workers had as they took their own family members to Walt Disney World on the very first day? And you can imagine also what it might have been like for a little kid who said, oh, look, 20,000 leagues under the sea submarines. That's so cool. Let's go on that. Dad. Oh, wait a minute. There's no subs. They're not working. How come that's not that ready, Dad? Hey, come on. Why want to go on that? Why want to go on that? Why is that done? Well, at the end of the day, management said, hey, get us open by October 1st, 1971. Get us open in less than a month. And we'll get you back over here to see the park again. Did they open on October 1st, 1971? Yeah, they did. Surprisingly, astonishingly, amazingly, they opened on October 1st. Was it perfect? No. Did they still have a long ways to go on the hotels? Yeah, there's some great stories about darkness and people who had formed a, a chain to hand off supplies and you could barely see each other in the dark. And, and one of the managers looked across and said, Roy, what are you doing? He said, well, I saw people working here and I thought I'd help. Roy was part of this little chain. And another situation, I believe, uh, and I, it's a Dick Nunes story for sure, but I believe he was recruiting 
kids from UCF or somewhere to come help lay sod out. And, uh, and they had never experienced putting down grass. and It's put down in patches uh, in this corner of the world. And they were like, how do you put this down? He goes, green side up. And this is, this is what it took. This is what it took to get Walt Disney World open. Not perfect by the time, but ready for the world on October 1st. And now, 50 years later, we're getting ready to open the park for its 50th anniversary again on October 1st. Well, there's a lot of lessons in this little experience. A lot of lessons for anybody to take out of. There's something I'd like to refer to as hard wiring and soft wiring. Um, that may not be a familiar term to most, but I have found in working with organizations, you can either work with people by hard wiring them or you could work with them by soft wiring. Hard wiring suggests that we got a strong organizational structure, we got hierarchical decision, you do what we tell you to do, um, we create policies and procedures and rules and unions and, and uh, we, we uh, reprimand and discipline if you don't do what you're supposed to do. That's hardwiring. And I suppose, I suppose some people feel there's a time and place for that. But I'd like to think that the real magic happens when you softwire, when you get people on board to a vision, a mission of what's possible, when you surround them by what matters most, by certain values and standards, when you communicate with them, when you have that open two-way uh, relationship and conversation, when you provide uh, learning and development and, and opportunities for collaboration, when you recognize people who do well, that is soft wiring. And I think, as I have experienced organizations in the public, private, or nonprofit sectors, outside of Disney and inside, I have seen that it works best probably when you softwire. In fact, I dare say that, like this little story of Labor Day and when Disney first opened to its union employees and to its construction workers, that probably, just probably, that is the better way to go. Um, that we ought to do a little bit more and a little bit more often. Uh, that kind of thing called soft wiring. I think that's the opportunity for any organization moving forward. It's something to be thought through, something to be considered. So much better than flexing your muscles is opening up your heart and getting people on board to what you do. That's what I take out of Labor Day at Walt Disney World 50 years ago. Thank you for joining us on this holiday and for hearing this little story Know that if you're in an organization that may be doing a little bit too much hardwiring, well, let's talk because that's what I do. I go into organizations and I help them get a little better than they were before. I take best practices, not just from Walt Disney and Walt Disney World and all of the Disney organizations, but I take best practices from world-class organizations around the world 
who have great ideas that you can not adopt, but adapt to your own experience. So reach out to us. Let us know if you have a need, a concern, interest. Hey, conversation is the best gift I can provide you. Let's just chat about your needs. And hopefully, somehow, we can help you make the magic occur in your own organization. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being a part. And again, as we say in all of our podcasts, as it is in Sinbad's Storybook Voyage at Tokyo Disney Sea, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We will see you real soon.